Welcome to Brainstream, featuring segments on maintaining a healthy brain and the effects of substance abuse. Our broadcast includes professionals, those in recovery, and those who continue to struggle. Topics include prevention and recovery and everything in between. Please join us on our website. Brainstream is sponsored by the nonprofit Possify, Prevention of Substance Abuse for Youth. We are solely funded by contributions. Please support our efforts by contributing on our website. And now, our host of today's Brainstream. Hi, my name is Jody Belcher, and I'm your host for today's episode of Brainstream on how drug addiction can lead to a lifestyle of crime and that there's still hope for new life in sobriety. We welcome Carlos into the studio. Carlos, tell us about those early childhood years. What were they like for you? Oh, my early years, um, they were pretty good for for the most part when I was with my family. It wasn't until my mom uh, divorced my biological father and and, uh, met my stepfather that things got pretty bad, you know. He he abused us pretty pretty, pretty bad, and uh, I was a rebellious kid. I felt like in the early years that was the only way that I had to stand out and, 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 uh, Standing my own two feet was to irritate him, I think, uh-huh. is, is what it was. So, you know, I, mm-hmm. I did my most. I knew I was going to get in trouble, but I, I really didn't care because the more I was making him upset, the, the you know, it was like small victories for me. When were you first introduced to drugs, and what were those first drugs you used, and how did you get them? I, I was introduced to alcohol at a very early age. You know, my I have a big family. We uh, we would congregate a lot at the family uh, ranch, and uh, we would always steal beers and 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 go down to our little forts. And my older cousins would have you know a couple beers, and I would steal sips off their beers. And I I can we were doing that from from as early as I can remember. So probably. Four or five years old. That is super young. Yeah. How did that progress? Well, that progressed pretty well. Like I said, it was a a lot of abuse that I suffered as a kid. Uh, it wasn't until the, you know, the older years when I started to get clean and sober that I realized. But I think it was sort of a coping mechanism. You know, I got shot when I was 14 years old. Well, that is really traumatic. Before then, I was an athlete, and I identified as an athlete all through school. And that was my the, end, the middle of my freshman year. Moving to a a new school and being in a new area, being the new kid in in, in town, um, mm-hmm. and not being able to identify as an athlete really played havoc with my with my you know my self esteem. Yeah, imagine. So you know, I just tried to f- go with the flow and fit in where I could. And uh, that group happened to be the Stoners. You know, it was really easy to to fit in with that mm-hmm. crowd because they didn't really you didn't really have to do anything but you know smoke weed. It was actually the first time I'd really smoked weed consistently beginning of my freshman year I tried before with my cousin and my mom worked a lot so we had always had a place to go Uh um, to get loaded so your mom was gone a lot you were using a lot of weed when did you first realize that you had a problem man I didn't realize I had a problem till (laughs) till my last term in prison to be honest with you you know (laughs) I I really enjoyed using Mm -hmm. and um, you know the the life that I was leading back then the lifestyle, you know, it was it was all part of a coping mm-hmm. mechanism because um, early on in my addiction, I had a child, a daughter, and it wasn't until I got her home from the hospital and went to change her diaper for the first time and that fear that 
I was going to abuse my daughter the way that I was abused as a child really hit me, really hit home and oh. uh, scared me to death. I ran away from that, from my family, my child and her mother, you know, I left them stranded mm. out in the middle of nowhere wow. and walked all the way to town. And because of the guilt and shame, I really buried myself in my addiction and my alcohol and my drug use really increased. Carlos, how were you able to maintain that and continue to live that lifestyle without having issues or other problems? I didn't really see it as a problem then, you know. It was more of a lifestyle choice that I'd chosen because I I didn't have the tools that I needed back then to deal with the with the grief and, you know, humiliation and the shame of the abuse Mm -hmm. that I suffered. And not only that, but the guilt and shame and the humiliation that I suffered because I did the same thing to my daughter by leaving her that my real dad, my biological father did to me when I was a child. I didn't know that I could have been the one to break the cycle and instead I perpetuated it. Yeah, that must have been really difficult. I was really ashamed Mm -hmm. of that and it really buried myself in my alcohol and drug use. Tell me the trajectory. You started out smoking pot, drinking alcohol. Then how did that move forward for you? Well, I, I had a lot of good co- family connections, unfortunately. So obtaining those drugs really wasn't a problem, but maintaining a job was. You know, I always had, I did mm-hmm. do my best to maintain a job, but things got out of hand real, you know, real quickly. The thing of it was, is a lot of people that I worked with also had drug habits. And, you know, at the time I was selling lots of drugs. Uh So it was kind of like a guaranteed paycheck. When I got my paycheck, they had to give me some, you know, some if not most of their paycheck. Wow. You know, that just perpetuated the cycle as well. Looking back, I can't, you know, it makes me sad to think of how many people's lives I destroyed, but, you know, they were making adult decisions. You know, I didn't twist anybody's arm. But um, through the years, you know, I've lost a lot of friends and to their addiction. Mm-hmm. I was the one that introduced them to drugs. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it messes with my psyche sometimes. All I can do today is things like this on the podcast, right. talk about my experience, mm-hmm. and hopefully somebody doesn't, you know, can get something out of my message and doesn't have to go through the same hardships that I did. Tell me the trajectory. You started out smoking pot, drinking alcohol, then how did that move forward for you? Yeah, this is a question I get a lot, and, and uh, I think the younger generation needs to hear this. For me, the progression went from, obviously, from alcohol, then to marijuana, but right. the thing of it was is that I liked the, psychi- the psychoactive ingredient and weed so it was introduced me to me that you know if i like that if i like that psychoactive ingredient i gotta try mushrooms and, and acid a buddy oh, told me goodness. if you really like that you gotta try this and i got into uh-huh. uh crank it was crank back then oh boy which was methamphetamine i really like that that progressed into smoking crack and then from there you know started selling all those different types of drugs and mm-hmm. you know my life got really out of control because the, obviously with the ch- you know the change into more hardcore drugs you obviously get into a, a more hardcore lifestyle dealing with a lot different type of people uh-huh. you know i got into gangs and 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 uh, drug dealing and you know my life really turned for the worst and started going to jail and, and really not caring about it at all at any time did you think i need to stop i need to stop doing this Actually, I did, you know, 
around 20 years old, I, I, I made an attempt to join the Marine Corps because I knew my life was going downhill. Oh. Didn't quite make it. You know, I, ca I oh. caught a case, mm -hmm. an assault case on some peace officers, got a strike, caught a prison term, a county bullet I had to do, and a three-year tail, and I just couldn't pull it together. I couldn't uh, complete my probation and ended up catching that three-plus years. Once I went to prison, you know, I was young, and, and I thought that, you know, this is not so bad oh boy <laughs> you know any normal person would right? uh, would maybe kind of learn their lesson but to me I, I thought that it increased my street mm. cred and you know I learned a lot of different things in there and rather than uh being a deterrent it kind of just you know the lifestyle I was living it, it kind of just felt like to me that that was where that's incredible it was my next graduating step to, to you know being what and a successful drug dealer, I guess, wow. and a gangster, which, you know, which the trajectory that I was heading. Were you feeling disappointed in yourself, in your life choices? I was pretty bummed out that I, I'd missed my opportunity to join the Marine Corps, but in prison, you know, the structure is kind of <laughs> like the Army. You know, you have a commanding officers, so to speak. It's just a, it's just a crazy lifestyle. It sounds like maybe you never had an opportunity to deal with that trauma that you experienced as a boy. And now you found a sense of belonging, you're feeling better, you're high, you're, you have some sort of purpose. Is that something that is true for you, that maybe you didn't have a chance to deal with those issues? Tell me about that, Carlos. You know, today, now through working in the 12-step program, I'm, I'm well aware that those feelings and emotions were there through working the 12 steps. I've gotten to the root of those problems, you know, but at the time I had no idea. You know, I didn't know that all the choices that I were make was making and continued to make all the wrong choices was a direct result of the abuse and the wanting and the, you know, to feel loved and to be feel, you know, a part of something greater than myself. Um, and in a strange way, you know, a lot of it was, in a way, I guess you could say a suicide mission because I, I stopped caring because I was so ashamed of myself with the guilt and shame of leaving my daughter that, you know, at the time, nothing really mattered, to be honest with you. Nothing really mattered. Was it difficult for you to turn your life around? It, it took a lot for me through working 12 steps. You know me now long enough, Jody, that... Uh, you hear me share about it often, and I feel like the more that I talk about the abuse that I suffered as a child, the easier it gets. How have others benefited from you sharing your childhood trauma? I, I've had an opportunity to have children, and not only children, but other people in the rooms, the 12-step rooms, come up to me and approach me. Men thank me for sharing my story because not a lot of people, even in the 12-step room, men, I should say, even in 12-step rooms, uh, like this to speak about that because it's 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 embarrassing but the fact of the matter is it, it's there what do you feel that you can do to help others if i can help anybody maybe take the stigma out of it a little bit and, and let them know that it, it, it is something that happens and, and it is something that we are a victim of but we don't have to live as victims our entire life my understanding is that 85% of the prison population has a substance abuse issue. And I'm just wondering, was that your experience? And did you see a lot of your fellow inmates struggling with these issues? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, believe it or not, drug use is rampant in um, our prison system. And it wasn't until this last term that I 
had really a grasp of how bad the drug problem was with uh, most of the convicts in the in the penal system today. I was down in Norco my last term, and uh-huh. um, that prison is absolutely overwhelmed with really? drugs. And um, that's where I actually got clean. You know, I white knuckled it. I didn't mm. attend any twelve step groups in there um, for the simple fact that I didn't really believe that I was an addict still at that wow. point. But I'd made a promise to my higher power that if he got me through that that situation, uh-huh. I would uh, definitely take a look at you know myself and the things that I was doing in my life and, and make a definite change in my behaviors. Carlos, what age were you during that period of time? My 30s all the way to 35 years old. Tell me about the connection between drug addiction and prison. You know, once you have an addiction, you know, I started using drugs because I wanted to. Then I was using drugs because I had to. And then I was using drugs because I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. And once that got, when, once my addiction progressed to where I couldn't stop, I couldn't hold a job. I was homeless. So obviously I was out robbing people. I was out. Um, hustling people, scheming, mm-hmm. scamming. And that's where the 85%, I think, comes from because everybody, you know, once you're in the psychosis and what's going on in your mind are way on two different spectrums. Mm-hmm. And um, that was to the, that was where the point I was. At that time, did you have any concern or were you caring at all about others? I didn't care who I was hurting. I didn't care what was going on in my life. I just needed to get the money to get another sack and it was it, it was weird for me to see the progression where I was always the one with the sack and I was selling drugs to becoming the guy that was out there robbing and stealing and scamming to get the money to get to, to go to the drug dealers because of my addiction and and all the bad choices I was making I, I declined real fast and it wasn't until this last term like I was saying that I realized you know, there's one particular incident I'm going to speak on, a factor that changed my perspective on everything that I was doing in my mm-hmm. life. You know, I had a workout buddy in there, and we became pretty good friends, mm-hmm. and uh, some order came up from the back, which is the, the you know, the head honchos that are in the hole or locked up mm-hmm. in the shoe, and they're the shot callers on the yards, and they wanted a, a hit hit on this guy. Wow was my workout partner, you know, and I had two choices. I, I could go along with it. They wanted everybody in the dorm to be involved. It was a South Sider, and they wanted um, it done out on the yard so this kid could be made an example mm. of. You know, and I had two choices. I could have debriefed. I could have said no, mm-hmm. debriefed, and then um, went to protective custody. Right. But I felt that, you know, all the things that I'd done in prison through all the years that I had earned my stripes, and I wasn't willing to give up my stripes Interesting. for this kid, no matter what he did. Mm. I, however small or however great, I wasn't ready to do that. Mm. So I had made the decision to go along with it, and this kid was hurt pretty bad, and I was a part of that. So what changed? That night I grew a conscience, you know, and uh, like I said before, I got, I, you know, I broke down to my higher power, and I, I just asked for forgiveness, first of all, and then second of all, to help me change my life, I, that I did not want to live like that. I realized that I was, uh, that I did have a heart, and I was human, and that this was not the lifestyle that I wanted Great for realization. myself any longer. And mm-hmm. that um, I wanted to meet my daughter one day, and I wanted to be a good father for my daughter and my son. And he gave me that opportunity. You know, my higher power came through for me and uh, gave me the opportunity to change my life, and it's been 
glorious ever since. Did anyone try to stop you along the way and say, hey, Carlos, you're really a mess. You need to get help. Did, did that ever happen where someone was trying to intervene and get you help? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Every, everybody, even people that I was using with were like, man, you're, you're out of control, <laughs> you know. Um, but I moved away a lot. I, I was always on the move because I was always dodging parole. Really? You know, I was always absconding from parole. Hmm. So when I was down in L.A., I never heard that. Actually, it was the other way around, and I was the one telling some of oh, my geez. friends, like, we're out of control. This is not going to end good. You know, because we were using around their kids and, in, you know, in their houses and, and neglecting paying bills and all types of things. And I was just all, man, you know, uh, things are not going to end well here. How long have you been sober now? I have been clean and sober now for Eight years, just past January 26th, which is my daughter's birthday, I took eight years. That's fantastic. And how does that feel for you, Carlos? Well, it's hard, it's hard to, to, you know, quantify how, how it feels, you know. Be, in a way, you know, it's hard to pat myself on the back because I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Carlos, I really appreciate your willingness to share your very personal story with us and the triumphs that you've achieved. Your testimony will undoubtedly help others in their quest for sobriety and give them insight into what can happen when you get into drugs that it can lead to a life of crime. BrainStream is sponsored by Possify, a 501c3 nonprofit whose mission is to educate on substance abuse prevention for youth. Your contributions are key and very much appreciated. Please stay in touch with BrainStream. You can find us at www.brainstreampodcast.com. We invite your suggestions and your comments. Until next time, I'm Jody Belcher with Possify, lighting the way to healthy life choices.